I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, February 10th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, an in-depth look at the nursing shortage in Mississippi rural hospitals. And we talk with the Governor Art Award honoree, Doug Williams of the Williams Brothers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some states are emerging from the Omicron surge in Mississippi hospitals. They are in crisis. The number of people coming to them for care continues growing, but hospitals statewide are reducing their bed numbers because there's no one to staff them. Shalina Chatlani of the Gulf States Newsroom reports. Brookhaven, population 12,500, is a sleepy little town split in half by railroad tracks and dotted with small businesses, arcades, and mom-and-pop diners. One of its biggest employers is King's Daughters Medical Center, where CEO Alvin Hoover says the pandemic has been hard to weather. I've been looking at a worst case scenario getting worse and worse for two years now. King's Daughters is a small operation of about 99 beds. But since the Omicron surge, two thirds of those beds have been unavailable. That's because there's not enough staff. Patients come to the emergency room. They wait and wait because we don't have a room. We don't have a nurse. Nurses are out sick have quit or retired or burned out. More commonly, they're leaving to become travel nurses who can hop from hospital to hospital on lucrative contracts. Hoover's hospital usually pays full-time nurses around $25 an hour, but he has to pay a travel nurse five times that rate. And to keep the nurses he has left, he's offered higher pay for a month and bonuses. Over the course of the pandemic, you could say millions of dollars. Even before the pandemic, it wasn't easy keeping King's Daughter's doors open. Because Mississippi has declined to expand Medicaid, hospitals here get less federal funding. But if you live in Brookhaven, King's Daughter's is critical. Downtown, longtime resident Sandy Freeman gets lunch at Janie's Pastries. She's been to King's Daughter's many times. I got asthma. Sometimes when I get sick, if I don't stop it when it starts, it'll get bad. There ain't no hospital doing what you're supposed to do. Most hospitals outside of Brookhaven are at least 30 minutes away, so she relies on the local medical center. It means a lot when you need it. <laughs> Derek McKenzie 
has been a nurse here for nine years and understands why quitting to become a travel nurse is tempting. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't pay me good. I'm just saying I'm not going to make what a travel nurse makes even up in Jackson right now. Jackson is the capital. Mackenzie doesn't blame anyone for chasing a buck, but he says there are downsides to travel nursing. It's never a guaranteed full-time thing. I mean, it's, I've been here since I got out of nursing school. I mean, this has been my home base. Everybody I know has been here. He says King's Daughters is like family to him. It's demanding and hectic, so of course he would like to be paid more, like his travel nurse cousin in Texas, who earned over $200,000 last year. But he understands this small hospital's finances are tight, and his family lives here too. I don't have any desire to up and try relearning new facilities, new doctors, and all of that. The hospital would need to hire about 30 people to get the nursing department running smoothly again. But hospital CEO Alvin Hoover says no one is applying. He says he'd welcome back nurses who quit to take more lucrative travel gigs. If they come in and say, I quit today, then I don't necessarily want that nurse back. But you know what? If they come back and say, we'd like to work here again, we'd hire them. Hoover says he's not worried about the hospital completely shutting down short term. It's been surviving on supplemental government funding during the pandemic. But it's unclear how much longer that will last and what the healthcare landscape will look like after the current surge. That story was reported by Gulf States Newsroom health reporter Shalina Chatlani, who joins us now. Shalina, thanks for being with us today. Happy to be here. So I understand there's another aspect to this story. Tell us about what you found in the travel nurse market and how it's gotten to this point. That's right. The, the concerns small rural hospitals are having right now are sort of two-pronged. So on one hand, the Omicron variant is making it really hard for hospitals that are low-staffed to handle the flood of patients. For example, King's Daughters has only been able to use a third of its capacity during this current crisis. And there are a lot of reasons for that. So nurses are quitting and retiring. They're also getting sick and are unable to work. So they've had to close beds because there's no one to staff them. In fact, the number of open nursing positions has doubled throughout the pandemic from 100,000 to around 200,000. So what's the other issue that they're facing? Right. So the other issue is that many nurses are quitting to become travel nurses who can hop from hospital to hospital on lucrative contracts. And they are very lucrative right now. Before the pandemic, there were around 7,000 postings. Um, that hospitals listed for travel nurse positions. Now it's at any given time around 28,000. The workforce shortages mean that demand for these nurses who can fill in the gaps is really high. And the nurses who sign on with travel agencies can double their salaries or more. So the continued rise in rates is actually partly due to a huge infusion of federal COVID relief cash to states. Most are using it to hire these travel nurses for hospitals. So Mississippi has spent around $90 million. Neighbor Louisiana has spent nearly $250 million. And our neighbor, very much so to the West, Texas, has spent at least $7 billion on travel nurses. With hospitals and governments able to pay these high prices for a nurse contract, travel nurses can sort of cherry-pick the best deal. So naturally, the cost of the best deal keeps going up and up and Hospitals like King's Daughters can't afford it. And I could see how nurses 
some nurses may feel like this is an opportunity I may not get again, this much money? Absolutely. And I think it's definitely driving a lot of nurses who are feeling just like they're burnt out because of the pandemic or underpaid, like maybe travel nursing um, is a better deal for them and what they deserve. Early in the pandemic, we heard about illegal price gouging on equipment like N95 masks and hand sanitizer. Price gouging is where someone is selling something that's in high demand but low supply at very high prices. And it's predatory. Can that be compared to what some nursing temp agencies are doing now? Is there such a thing as price gouging labor? Yeah, that's actually the exact accusation that the American Hospital Association is making toward travel nurse agencies. Robin Begley is with the American Hospital Association. Some nurse staffing agencies, we believe, are exploiting the severe workforce shortages and charging exorbitant fees. There's high demand for nurses, but limited supply. The association says the travel nurse agencies are taking advantage of the market and charging high fees that desperate hospitals have no choice but to pay. And they're saying that they're taking a cut of the profit for themselves. They've asked the Federal Trade Commission to launch a formal investigation. So what are travel nurse agencies saying about that? So travel nurse agency trade groups say they aren't exploiting the pandemic and that these claims are unfounded. They say they're just responding to labor market demands and that nurses are really the ones calling the shots because they get to choose their rates. So if wages are going up, the cost of labor goes up too. And so travel nurse agencies say they have to charge more. They also say that the influx of federal money is partly to blame. Toby Malara is with a trade group called the American Staffing Association. If the federal money is used to pay and retain nurses and pay them bonuses, that could be helpful. But also it gives them a chance to push out money and pay those higher rates without thinking about it as much. Shalina, what do rural hospitals say they need to keep their doors open for a few months, but in the long term? For now, rural hospitals are just trying to get by on the limited money they have. Unfortunately, Mississippi did not expand Medicaid, and that means that a lot of the hospitals that could be getting money reimbursed to them for the patients that they are seeing are simply not getting high reimbursement. So right now, the cost of care is going up because there's more patients coming in with COVID, flu, and other illnesses. But the share of uninsured patients is staying the same. Um, And without that federal money, those reimbursements, it's really putting hospitals in a tough position. So federal money directed at helping hospitals maintain and augment their staff would be a really good first step. Coming up, we talk with the Governor Art Award honoree, Doug Williams of the Williams Brothers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The annual Mississippi Governor's Arts Awards are today. The awards aim to recognize individuals and organizations who have made major contributions to artistic excellence in the state. This year's Lifetime Achievement and Music Award honoree is the gospel group the Williams Brothers. In their decades-long careers, the brothers have been nominated for several Grammys and have been inducted into the Gospel Hall of Fame. But Doug Williams says this award is especially meaningful. To be honored in your own home state for the the things that you've done and the music that you've tried to um, put out there for people to enjoy, it's, it, it, it takes you to another level. So for Mississippi to honor the Williams Brothers and uh, and give us the Lifetime Achievement and Music Award, it, it's, it's um, you know, my, I, my joy is unspeakable. It's hard to explain. So it's, it's just it's a wonderful thing. Tell us a little bit about how you started. I was reading that it happened in the 1960s. Your father got together a quartet? Yes, actually... Um, the Williams Brothers Group was organized by my late father, Leon Pop Williams, and uh, my late brother, Frank Williams. Um, my, my father had been in the music industry. He'd been singing with the quartet for many years, even before I was born. Um, he was with a group called the Big Four Gospel Singers. And then after that, he started another group with my uh, older brothers and some of my cousins called the Southern Gospel Singers. And... Um, we were just little kids at that time, and my brother Leonard, my brother Melvin, and my sister Marilyn and myself, we were out in the front yard one day and uh, just kind of playing around, singing, and we uh, started kind of harmonizing, just small kids. We started harmonizing. We made up a little song called Hobby Dibby Doby Die, and I have no idea what that means today, but <laughs> we made up our own little song, and my father walked out on the front porch, and he started to listen to us. And um, he said, wow, you guys, come on inside and, and, and sing that some more. So we went inside and uh, sung it some more, and he saw something in us at that moment that uh, we had some possibilities, some, some uh, potential. And uh, eventually he organized a group called the Little Williams Brothers. And after that, we just kind of grew, and he gave us another name, the Sensational Williams Brothers. And then after that, we just started to call ourselves the Williams Brothers. But uh, it, that's how it started, uh, and my father just heard something in us and saw something in us, and uh, the rest is history. I know there's one song that comes up a lot, and that's I'm Just a Nobody. Is that your yeah. favorite song? Well, that's one of my favorites. Uh, that was that's probably one of the biggest uh, songs we, that we've done. Um, it was such a popular song when, when it came out, and actually my favorite is, is um, I would consider it, sort of a testimony of song that I wrote called I'm Still Here. And it was also a very big song for the Williams Brothers, had a, a Grammy nomination for that one and won several stellar awards. Uh, but that, I'm Just a Nobody, is still a popular song today, even though it came out in the 80s. Everywhere we go and perform, people still want to hear that particular song as well as all the old songs. It, it doesn't matter how many new songs we do, they still want to hear the old stuff. So we have to do I'm Just a Nobody and sweep around your own front door, those type songs. So they still love those songs. Do you write your own music, your own songs? We probably write about 90 to 95% of our own music. And are you still, you mentioned when you perform, so you're still out performing, touring? 
Uh, absolutely. Now, of course, the um, we've been set back quite a bit uh, since the pandemic started. We haven't really done a lot of performing uh, since 2020, but uh, we're scheduling a tour now uh, that's going to start sometime later this year to get back out on the road and you know, our fans are wanting to see us in here, so we're, we're scheduling a tour uh, to hopefully start around the, at the end of the spring or early summer, and it's called Nothing But The Hits Tour. Um, and we're going to be all, doing all of the performing all the hit songs that we've had over our entire 60-plus year career. So we, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of work, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But, yes, we're still still performing. As a matter of fact, I'm in, in the studio now, uh, working on a, another solo project that's going to be released later this year. So I'm excited about uh, what we're, what God is still blessing us to do even after all these years. What would you say was the time period that was the height of your notoriety, so to speak, where it was like everything was moving and you were constantly busy and it was almost like you had to pinch yourself? I would have to say it was the 80s and the 90s. Uh, we had several, several hit records back to back to back in the 80s and 90s, and we were constantly on the road. Uh, we probably spent more time uh, out on the road than we did at home in, in many, on many occasions. And um, we just had the opportunity to go and sing at some very prestigious um, venues um, like uh, Carnegie Hall, Radio City Music Hall, um, and so many others, uh, the, the, the Madison Square Garden, the Superdome in New Orleans. We performed at all these places and have um, gone abroad uh, in uh, Sweden uh, and uh, England. And we've got just uh, all the islands, the Bahamas, uh, Virgin Islands, Hawaii. We travel all over. So it's, it's been, that would probably be, probably be the height of our career in the 80s and 90s. We were pretty much done stop doing that time. Over the course of your career, is there a takeaway, something that stayed with you all of these years, whether it's an experience or something you learned about the gospel music business? There are several things that I would say are highlights, but I guess one of the things when we were first nominated for a Grammy Award, you know, coming from a very small place, Smithdale, Mississippi, which is just a little country place uh, west of Macomb, Mississippi. We were born and raised there in the cotton fields and corn fields. And we, you know, growing up as children, we had no idea that uh, our music ministry would take us to places that we've gone. So to get our first Grammy nomination, and then um, in 2015, or 16, 2015, I believe it was, we had the opportunity to go to the White House and sing with Aretha Franklin uh, for President Barack Obama. So that that was definitely one of the highlights. So, you know, coming from the cotton fields and then ended up, ended up singing in the White House with Aretha Franklin, that's, that's definitely one of the highlights. Are there any goals that you haven't fulfilled that are on your list? Well, we've... Uh, We've never won a Grammy. We've been nominated for seven, seven times, so I guess winning a Grammy would be one of them eventually before we retire completely. And uh, um, probably writing, I would say, writing my first gold record. I, I'm still, I still believe that I'm going to write my gold, my first gold record. So that I think that's on the horizon. May I ask how old you are? I'm 65 years old. 
Oh, so 65 years young. That's great. <laughs> 65 years young, and I feel like uh, the best is still yet to come. Is there anything you'd like to share that I didn't ask you about your career, about receiving this award, or anything that's on your mind? Well, again, I just want to personally thank um, Governor Tate Reeves and uh, the Mississippi Arts Commission for uh, just uh, uh, giving us this prestigious award this year. And I also want to thank my wife, uh, Felicia Williams. She basically worked on uh, trying to get us nominated for the last three years, and it finally came into fruition uh, for this year. And I want to thank her for doing that. She worked uh, tirelessly trying to make this happen, so she she played a big part in it as well. But I um I just I, again I'm just excited that we're being honored in our home state where we were born and raised, and uh, nothing feels better than to have your own people of your home state to to recognize and honor the the work that we put in. And it's been a lot of work. The 60 plus years is a long time, long, long time to do anything. I started singing with the group when I was five years old. So um, 60 years strong now, I've been a member and the group was gone before I even became a member. But um, just to have that recognition in the home state, it's, 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 uh, it's such a, such an honor. And the ceremony is happening during Black History Month. It absolutely is, which which makes it even the more special. Uh, February, of course, is Black History Month, and for our group, uh, with all the history that we've we've had over the years, to be honored uh, in Black History Month with the uh, Lifetime Achievement in Music Award, it makes it all the more special. Doug Williams with the Williams Brothers, congratulations for all of your achievements, um, your wonderful years of blessing people with your your songs, and we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Oh, well, thank you so much, and uh, we appreciate you, and it's been a, ple- been a pleasure speaking with you today, and I'm, again, I'm just looking forward to the award ceremony now, just to, to receive that award, so we are, we're elated. Yeah. So many problems in my life that I just couldn't deal with. So I started drinking, thought it would help ease my pain. But things got worse, so I said, Lord, I give up. I'm in your hands. And that's when my life began to change. But these people think I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I'm just a This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's AutoCorrect. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio. Enjoy your day.